0: Okay, thank you very much, uh, listeners. Thanks for tuning in again to Man in the Stand. Um, I'm really honoured and privileged to be um, joined this week by Jonathan Yarwood. Uh, Jonathan is a PGA Tour coach. Um, He's a a PGA Tour professional coach. Uh, His his, his history um, is, is long and storied um, history actually and one of the uh, most interesting parts of that history and his coaching history is he coached Michael Campbell during his uh, uh, famous 2005 US Open victory. Michael was on my show uh, a few weeks ago earlier you, you may recall and in that time in the interview he uh, told us a story about how he was struggling um leading into two thousand and five his he said his game was uh, a little bit all over the shop and he was um struggling um quite badly uh and uh, and and went to his coach Jonathan Yarwood at the beginning of the year and said right let's uh let's strip this game back and and let's and let's really work on um on on rebuilding my game and and in that time. Uh, his his performance began to climb and climb to the fact where he, uh, you know, started at the U.S. Open. It started out well in two thousand and five. Uh, and, and, and went through and held off a, a charging Tiger Woods on the on the final round to claim a famous victory for, uh, and, and the only second New Zealander ever to win a major golf golfing title. The first being Bob Charles in the British Open. So, um, Jonathan Yarwood, thank you very much for joining me. I really appreciate you coming on to Man in the Stand. Uh, this is a this is a show um, uh, by sports fans for sports fans and and a look actually into into performance sport and into what sort of goes in behind um, all sorts of different sports. I, I wanted to just, um, first of all, uh, Jonathan, just get an understanding of, of kind of what brought you into golf. Where, uh, you know, if you can just sort of give us a little bit of a background into, into your sort of um, introduction to the game and, and what brought you to be um, one of the top, uh, as it says in, in, golf, in golf, golf Digest, one of the top 100 um, golf coaches in America.
1: Uh, well, thanks very much for having me on. I uh, appreciate it. Um, it's always uh, fun to reminisce a little bit about the past, obviously. But, uh, yeah, this, we had some fun. Uh, Michael and I coached him for 15 years, actually. And, uh, you know, it was a bit of a roller coaster, as you know, with, with Michael. But uh, when he was on, he was uh, definitely one of the best in the world. As uh, the fact he won 15 times around the world, not just a major championship. Uh, yeah. Too. Um, well, I've got started from a pretty humble beginning like Michael. I mean, he was at Tatae Bay and hitting... Uh, on that little nine hole golf course with sheep uh, fences around the, the greens to stop the, sh- the sheep eating the greens. So <laughs> um, mine was a similar story, really. I, we started caddying at a local golf course, couldn't afford to play. Um, you know, one of the guys, um, obviously you shouldn't do it, took one a uh, forward out of one of the bags and we used to practice with it. 20 of us on the soccer fields, we dug a big hole at either end and we used to pass it between us all and whack it from one end to the other. And, and I used to sneak on the golf course at night and I really wanted to, to kind of understand how to play and um, I, I ended up swapping my only possession, which was a little bicycle. I swapped my bicycle for that golf club so I could own it and use it and uh, I used to sneak on at night and, you know, I still... I, to this day, I can still picture when you hit a shot with a wood, how far it goes in the open space of a golf course. I can still reminisce of how that felt when I first did that. Yeah. And uh, it got me hooked on the game, really, and I, I've got a love of nature and a love of sport and golf seemed to combine the two quite nicely. So... Um, and whereabouts? I just, I
0: just, uh, whereabouts was that, Jonathan? Which part of um, the world were you doing that in?
1: Yeah, I, I grew up in a little seaside town called Skegness in Lincolnshire, yep. uh, in England. Uh, it's just a little, uh, a little uh, seaside resort. It's a great place to grow up. You know, there's tons going on, especially in the summers. And, uh, you know, all I did was, you know, bike from my house to my golf course and, and play golf all summer, really, 50 holes a day and have a Coke and a Mars bar in between. And, <laughs> you know, like a lot of kids do. And, uh, I say, got me hooked on the game and, and they offered free lessons. And I got involved with that. And, um, you know, there was a pro there from who, who's quite well-known in your home country called Mal Tong, who mm. was a head pro there. And uh, I got involved a little bit with him. And, uh, you know, that led me to New Zealand later on. And, uh, yeah, it's a kind of... Uh, Quite a checkered history, really, of a lot of coincidences. But uh, yeah, just uh, you know, in your formative years, you just you know, you fall. I fall in love with with golf, obviously, but also sport. I just love sport in general. Anything that's got a winner and a loser, I'll watch it.
0: What and what about sport yourself um, outside of golf? Did you play any other sport competitively?
1: Yeah, I played every sport at school. I was I excelled at sport. Um, I was pretty good academically, but I, I, I was good. Very, uh, I had a lot of um, kind of coordination stuff from, you know, just hanging around, uh, you know, on the streets and with, um, on bikes and doing games and all sorts of stuff you do as a kid. Um, so I was, I was pretty good at all sports. was in all the teams and the captain of a couple of them. And uh, um, what we found as well, ironically, with the research uh, lately with the Titleist Performance Institute and other institutes, um, that the best uh, golfers or the best sports people in general, actually, the ones who don't specialize too early, you know, if you expose yeah. a kid, you expose a kid to multi sports. They learn coordination, they learn balance, they learn agility, they learn competitiveness, they learn team spirit. They learn so many things by not specialising too early. Uh, Jordan Speed, for example, was playing baseball and American football when he was fifteen.
2: Yeah.
1: Um, you know, so I think a lot of kids nowadays they specialise way too early. And when I look back, you know, that exposure to all the games that I played, which was you know football, rugby hockey basketball tennis you know golf running athletics cross country you know all added up to to coordination add allied to the fact that you know we were outdoor you know feral kids basically so yeah. we'd be outdoors climbing trees and you know getting up to no good and you know making up games like i remember one game we used to play was we'd get a soccer ball and one would stand on one side of the road one on the other and you had to land it on the curb so if you if you did it perfectly, it bounced back to you, and you caught it, and you scored a point. And uh, when I look back on that, I mean, that's such precision and coordination to do that. And we were, I mean, we could literally we'd score like twenty one, twenty two points. I mean, oh. if I tried it now, if I tried it now, I'd probably miss the road. <laughs> but, but all those things, uh, you know, add up to coordination. So, um, you know, I, I got to a reasonable level as a as a as a, a player. But it it didn't really pique my interest because I saw I thought well the semi players better than me I you know how does this thing work and in my era, um you know no one really knew there's a lot of guesswork involved a lot of opinions involved so you know I was one of the first coaches to mess around with video cameras and you know had these big things you put on your shoulder with big cassettes in them and, you know but I was interested in how the thing worked and 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 so I, I embarked on a journey of figuring out how it worked and it took a long time to on uh, the facts and, uh, you know, golf instruction traditionally was based on a lot of old fashioned bull- bullshit, really. You know, it's uh, there's, there's there's just a load of opinion in there and no real facts.
2: Uh. Um,
1: and, you know, a lot of the stuff we've uncovered is there's a lot of myths involved. You know, taking the club low and slow is absolute rubbish. Keeping your head still is total rubbish. Turn uh. is total rubbish. Um, um, so, you know, nowadays I teach uh, with modern technology is amazing uh, with modern technology nowadays. So I teach with a TrackMan, uh, which tells me about the ball and the, and the the launch conditions and what the club's doing without any guesswork. I teach with a swing catalyst, 3D force plate under people's feet. So I know where the pressure, their mass, all the things I can't actually see. I know what, what is happening with those things now. I teach with ultra high speed video. I teach with 3D um so you know uh, all the guesswork's gone I and mean, we kind of know the code to some extent so as a result of that you can create performance by design rather than it just used to be pure talent that got through in the past and that's why there's such strength in depth really
0: so uh, that's very interesting that you talk about uh as you say i'm un- un- unlocking a lot of the myths or uh so let's just go back to when you started coaching so you obviously as you say played to a you got to quite a high standard as a player uh and then realized well hang on there's there's golfers here that are just more naturally talented or gifted than than i am uh and you sort of turned your attention to that sort that golfing aspect or that coaching aspect when, when did you start doing that and 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 where did you start doing that? Did you were you in the UK when you were still when yeah, you started yeah, doing
1: yeah, very, that? Ve, yeah, very early on, actually. I became an apprentice pro early on, and um, I uh, I got involved in in coaching twenty twenty one years old. Um, mm. I had an LPGA winner when I was twenty one years old, mm.
2: um,
1: which is pretty young. And and it wasn't cool to be a coach when I was a coach. It was, you know it was kind of frowned upon a little bit. It's like oh, is that all you do? Is that all you can do? Um, so you know it's evolved into an industry now, thanks to people like my friend David Ledbetter, who's, who, who was a trailblazer in, in turn it into a proper profession. Yeah. And um, you know, so it's so a totally different landscape. But yeah, very early on, I just I, I was just intrigued. I, I suppose I was the kid that rode the bike and took the bike apart because he wanted to know how it worked. And yeah, um, you know, I probably got that mentality really a little bit where I'm interested in, in looking behind the curtain a little bit and, and getting some answers to it. So.
0: And, and and so you mentioned Mal Tung, as you say, that he's quite a famous name in New Zealand golf um, because he was instrumental in, in bringing a kind of a golden generation of New Zealand golfers together. Uh, you know, Phil Taurangi, Michael Campbell, Stephen Scarhill. Uh, you know, he, he was at a sort of an age-grade sort of coaching level in New Zealand. Um, were you, when you, and you mentioned you were over in New Zealand. Uh, when did you sort of come over to New Zealand and were you sort of, were, were you a part of that with Mal or was that later on?
1: Yeah, I came over with all those people you just mentioned. Actually, uh, they're all amateurs at the time, playing the Eisenhower and stuff. And I went over to New Zealand on a bit of an OE um, just to learn a little bit from from, uh, Mao, but also, you know, to enjoy the culture and and the country and just have an experience overseas, really. And I was involved in all that era. Um, We used to practice every day at Manor Park and stuff like that. And, uh, you know, I learned a lot during that time. I learned a lot of things that are right and I learned a lot of things that are wrong as well. Um, yeah. I don't think I don't think you can say that a coach is responsible for all those talented people because none of us are. No, uh, if there was no coaches in the world, there would still be a great Michael Campbell, there'd still be a great Stephen Scarhill, and there'd still be a great Philip Tartarangi. I think it's very easy for a coach to get carried away with their own importance, and we're not actually that important. We're a small cog in the wheel. They are talented people stop. So I don't agree with taking so much credit that, that it's all about you and you created this generation because that's not true. Mm. They created themselves. They would have been great players no matter what. And you could, they could make a case for the fact that, you know, maybe that they would they didn't go as well as they could have gone. You know, mm. Stephen packed up, Philip packed up. Then mm. The last man standing of a very talented generation was Michael Campbell. Mm. So, you know, I judge my coaching by longevity, not by a flash in the pan or having a stable of players.
0: So, um, so you mentioned, as you say, uh, um, th- those guys—they are all good anyway, as you say. The Jordan Spieths, the Ricky Fowlers, the Brooks because they are all, as you say, they're all, they all—they all tended to shine at other sports. So they're, they're supremely talented sports people in their own right, um, and they, as you say, they—they they happen to turn their attention to golf. So, tell me, as a when you get to the top echelons of coaching. What are you doing to a to a guy or a girl who is uh, really is supremely talented at the game? Anyway, what are you working on to actually get them across the line and, and win a tournament? Is it is it a combina- Is it a mental thing, or is it a combination of physical and mental? Like because these people are are, are extremely good anyway. What are you kind of trying to? I guess. Adds to the equation to 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 get them from an also ran into into winning a tournament.
1: Well, it's a case by case basis. It's as simple as that. I've been working with uh, Jesse Corder lately, who's just won a tournament straight out the, out of the gates. Actually, after I worked with her for three weeks, and and she won straight away. So, um, you know, it's it, it, it's a it's a case by case basis. It's literally you know you look at the person and where they're at. I mean, you know, you, you talked about Michael Campbell at the start, for the U.S. Open, one in a rebuild for that year. So you know we rebuilt this whole game so it's you know yeah. let's look at every every aspect of your game let's take it apart and let's polish it up and let's put it back together as a better version mm. um uh, conversely you might get a player who's you know you, you I, I do a lot of game analysis so we look at stats to see what's driving the issues which is really helpful nowadays you know there's a lot of stats out there where you can you can you know you just look into incrementally gain 10% there 8% there 12% there 20% there and it adds up to a lot. So, you know, what I don't do nowadays is rip people's games apart too much. I just go, okay, well, statistically, you need to improve your wedge play from 20 to 140. You need to improve your putting, uh, you know, 1.5 shots. You need to do this, you need to do that. So we, then you start delving into those areas and see why the week, how the week, and how you can, you can make it more robust. Yeah. Um, but you also get players who come to you, you know, in desperation, who've lost their game. Um, which happens, you know, it's a very fickle game, and a lot of it is mental. There's a lot of pressure on in these people. It's very easy to lose it, you know.
2: Mm.
1: How how cyclical the game is, you know. You get Jordan Spieth on a two-year sabbatical, mm. you know, loses loses confidence. You've got Rory on a bit of the same sort of thing at the moment. You've got Justin Rose just recovering from that. So you know, you've got to understand as a coach, it, it's cyclical, and there's lots of reasons, you know, why. Uh, players, you know, lose it and don't play well. So you might get a player come to you, you know, I, I call it kind of, you know, they want golf rehab. Uh, and, you know, then you you start off right at the rock bottom with the person. You say, okay, so what's going on with you? You know, you might there might have tons going on in their life no one knows about in the background. They might be, you know, going through a divorce or, uh, you know, they might, they might get separation anxiety from the kids as they're getting older, which often happens, you know, they get guilt, parent guilt, you, know, uh, you don't see that. You know they're away on the road for 30 weeks a year, and they've got you know a kid who is a baby, which they're okay with. And now all of a sudden that kid's seven years old, and when they leave the house, the kid's going, "Don't go, Daddy, don't uh, go." Uh, you know, well that, that, that's an emotional t- uh, thing which is going to affect your golf because you feel guilty. So there's all these things you've got to look at if you get someone who's in what I call golf rehab. So uh, as I said, it's a case by case basis, but you know in general <laughs> and on the whole, you're looking for. Uh, incremental gains here and there, um, which add to a, to to a whole, really.
0: Well, um, what, why do you think someone like you mentioned Rory? And I think it's a really interesting analogy, Rory, because it, we're all fascinated, um, the golf fans of the world, watching this kind of massive talent. Kind of just, I wouldn't say he's unraveling, but he, but he is um, he, he is in, in the doldrums right now in terms of his form. It's, it, it's pretty awful, and, and and it drives me to a question about. Why do golfers um, kind of, they, they start with coaches, they go away from coaches for a while, and then when it all kind of falls apart, they kind of not run back to them, but they've gone back to them. And I'm I'm, I'm talking about Rory with Pete Cowan now. He's gone back to mm-hmm. Pete Cowan because he's he he needs to, you know, he admits that his game's in, in a bit of a yeah. shambles at the moment. Um, what what? And, and Justin Rose was the same. He went away from um some coaching yeah. and then came back to it. Why did, why do you feel that golfers um kind of drift away and come back to coaches for?
1: Well, I think you've got to understand it's a fickle game, right? You know, you are, the level they're playing at, I mean, you've got no idea how hard the courses are, first of all. Yeah. If you're driving, if your driving's off 30%, I mean, you're toast, you're going to shoot 75 all day long. And, yeah. You know, the, it's nothing like the courses that the people who are watching are playing and On TV, it never comes across how hard the courses are. No. Um, you know, they're extremely difficult. But it, it's so fickle and they're under massive pressure. I mean, imagine doing your job or whoever's listening, imagine doing your job. Every single day, someone's critiquing you you make a marginal little error in, in an extremely difficult endeavor. Yeah. And you get a million people criticizing you on social media. <laughs> you know, you know the, the, pressure they're, the pressure they're under is extraordinary. and then you've got, obviously, you know, they have to start to think about, right. you know, how will the sponsors feel about this? And, you know, all these sort of things run through their minds. So um, they're under enormous pressure. And, and you, you know, you only have to be marginally off at that level to, to kind of start this tide going the wrong way. Yeah. Um. And, and so, you know, what happens with coaching is, you know, that you coach them to a point and then they you, you let them flow and ride the wave. And then sometimes they, they, they might think, OK, I've got it. I don't need you. And then you kind of part ways a little bit because your message gets stale. Yeah. Um. And then they need a new message. You know, they're all brought up on what I call a search mentality. Search, improve, search, improve from a yeah. young age. They search, they improve, they search, they improve. And sometimes, you know, they, they might oversearch, and sometimes yeah. they, they go backwards, and then sometimes the message gets, gets, um, say, polluted, or it gets stale from the coach, and they just want to change, and they're quite fickle people, they're quite fickle racehorses, they can drop you in a second, it's one of the few jobs that you take on that you know you're going to be fired at some stage, so mm. you make the most of it as you go along, because you, you just want to be a positive contribution, and sometimes... A change is as good as a rest it's like changing a putter you know it yeah. might not make that much difference, but psychologically it makes a huge difference yeah um so so there is that element you know there's a bit of a dark art to it a, you know it's, it's, a, it's a little it's a strange little thing, but you can make a difference, like I said, I just took fifty quarter on and you know three weeks later wins a tournament has won for a while, started to play some nice golf um so you can make a difference you can you can be that 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 five percent you know, yeah. just by your presence and someone like Pete. Obviously, he's a steady hand. He's a brilliant coach. He's been out there years. He's known Rory for years. And I think it's probably a good thing for, for Rory. You know, he doesn't need a major rebuild. He just needs to get his arms less behind him coming down, basically,
2: yeah. um,
1: technically. And as soon as he does that, he's going to unlock it and, and be off to the races again. And, and I'd say, you know, if you look at any player, it's cyclical the whole game. You, you know, you play well for a while. You play average. You play crap. You rebuild. Yeah. You play well. You play average. You play crap. You rebuild. Yeah, it
0: certainly is. I mean, that, I think that's what I, I love about golf so much is that, uh, it, it does feel like, as you say, at this level, these guys are at such a high level. It is—it's just a matter of degrees and inches, and and, uh, and 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 a lot of it is mental, as you, as you alluded to. And I think you know they 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 are so, uh, as you say, such finely tuned tuned um, athletes. On you know, in, in like in any sport, uh, at the top level, it's it's a it's a matter of degrees. And um, I, I want to take that, that back to an amateur level because something that. Pat, Paul Rick Harrington said really interested me um, in Golf Monthly magazine. He said last year in an interview, words to the effect of um, uh, anyone who plays uh, uh, golf, uh, and I'm talking to an amateur status now, I'm saying all golfers. If you play um, a a fair amount of golf, you should be able to get down to single-figure handicaps. And if you can't get down to single figures, it's it's something that you are um, doing wrong uh, in the game mentally. It's your approach to the game mentally that is not quite right, that is holding you back from getting down to single-figure handicap. That, that, now, that's words to the effect of what Paul Rick Harrington said in this quote. I I, I I tell you now I I I love golf I've, I'm a keen golfer have been since I'm I'm 48 years old I've golfed since I was 13 years old the best I've ever got down to as a golfer was I think 17 handicap and that and that was me uh, young no kids um lot, lot of time on my hands and uh, you know maybe I could have got down a little bit lower but I think that was almost to the peak of my ability i I kind of took issue with what uh, not in an angry way but i was i looked at that statement that paul harrington said that all golfers should be able to get down to a single figure handicap because i don't agree with that what do you think of that statement jonathan as a coach
1: well i think uh, it's a pretty broad statement uh, spoken through the lens of someone with high coordination and quite a quite a fixed mindset so um, I, I, I would I would agree that a certain amount could there's no question about it, but they have to be you know have time on the hands and be coordinated etc. Yeah. But I think in ge- in general, 90% of them probably wouldn't because you know golf's so difficult. Yeah. I don't care how how strong or how strong your mind is if you come over the top and your path is seven to the left and your face is four to the right and every shot you hit you ain't going to get down to single figures. So yeah. um, and if you can't putt etc. Because you know the one overlooked thing is. It requires great coordination golf. And it's, you know, the difficult thing about the sport is the ball is static. Uh, you provide the propulsion, the direction, the elevation, and you've got time to think about it. And then on top of that, you've also got multi-gains within the game. Mm. So it's not like all, all we're trying to do is is master a serve in tennis. No, we're trying to master a drive. We're trying to master course strategy, how to hit a fairway wood, how to pitch, how to chip, how to hit iron, how to long iron. You know, there's a multitude of things you've got to kind of become reasonably good at in order to start creating scores that are single-figure scores. Yeah. And that shouldn't be the goal, really. I don't think anyway. I think the goal for people should be just to go and have fun and bloody hit it and run after it and have a beer with the mates.
2: Yeah. You know,
1: there's enough stress in life. You know, I don't, I don't, I don't see why people always want to, you know, aspire to being, you know, unbelievably great players. Go and kind of enjoy yourself and see where you get to. But you know, obviously, because it's so technically demanding. Um, you know, if you do get time, you know, do take some lessons or uh, take some online stuff. I mean, I'm I'm doing literally hundreds of online lessons. I've done 823 online lessons in almost five months. Uh. And you know, stuff like that really helps, and that'll help you get your da- your, your handicap down. Uh, if you're interested in doing that, because if you've got a massive flaw in your game, I don't care how hard you work at it, you're just going to make that flaw worse. So. Um, you know, if you do want to get down to single figures and you're serious about it, you've got to get some input and some instruction to give you an idea of, of where you are on the map, basically, and how to improve and get to where you want to be. Yeah, um, but, yeah. But to answer your question, I, I don't agree with that statement in, in full. You,
0: you talk just then about the, as you say, the online technology now that golfers can access. You can get better at your game. You don't have to necessarily go and uh, and actually. Uh, physically be with a coach you can get um you know a lot of online help i know you're quite active on that online uh, as you say you have youtube videos you have a lot of o- online tutelage uh, um, what's your um just for the listeners what's your um uh website address or where can they come to to sort of see anything that you can sort of um that you sort of share out to to um to your amateur golfer sort of um network there
1: well, I'm very active on social media. Uh, and on all social media, I'm at Jonathan Yarwood. Um, I've also got my website, jonathanyarwood.com. Yeah. I'm working right. I'm working right now on uh, a new uh, thing, which is going to be really good. Which is an online golf academy. Basically, you know, I started doing online lessons in the lockdown, um, and I can't believe how well they have received actually. And I also can't believe how good the results have been. Mm. You know, it's even shocked me. It's even shocked me. I mean. You know, what I do with people, they send their swing. You don't need to have an app or anything like that. You literally just film it, cut it, and send it. And, uh, you know, I send, I've just done one before you, actually. Um, and, uh, you know, you'll get an analysis, full analysis. You'll get um, some factual information on the bit that you need to work on, you know, using uh, um, gear systems or whatever I've got on my computer that helps you. And then from there, you know, you, I do a player analysis uh, compared to you to show you the little bit you need to do. And it's all very simple stuff. Um, and then at the end, there's some drills to help you. And you know, the, the, the feedback from it is absolutely incredible. So um, I'm I'm growing that now. I'm working on a new site which is called Your Golf Academy, which uh, comes out shortly, um, which kind of moves that a, a little bit further, where you can go and let's say you want to, you know, you want to become a great chipper. You can't chip. There's going to be a 10-week sequential uh, chipping module you can buy. Oh wow. You know. For for thirty bucks or something like that to take you from an amateur to a tour player, there's going to be a driving module. There's going to be modules on how you can create power, how you can be more consistent, uh, allied to um, you know this online send your swing in as well. So that's going to be out in in two or three months. I'm just doing some work on that. But the one I've got going at the moment on my site, um, again, I, I I'm really shocked at how good it works and the feedback and you know said it's, it's, it's becoming a big part of my day doing it I really enjoy it I, I literally teach people from New Zealand to South America to South Africa to Iceland to and literally you name it and they've sent it to me from there I, I had one guy send me a full blown driver in his lounge <laughs> with his wife watching TV behind him God knows what he hit it into <laughs> but it was a full full blown driver with his wife on the couch behind him watching telly uh- and it, she she didn't flinch. <laughs> so, so, so I've had it. I've I've had it. I've had people doing that all the way through to posh country clubs and, and fields and, and back gardens and sheds and, and it's brilliant. I really enjoy it. I lo- I love the rustic nature of it. I love helping people. I love the feedback I get. And I, you know, I get people sending me their scorecards saying, "Geez, man, I shot two under par today." I used to shoot eighty three. You know, like yeah. stuff like that. It's amazing. I yeah. really enjoy helping people like that.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, it is speaking as as you say, as a as a long suffering golfer who you know who would who obsesses about a, a round after even when I hit the pillow at night. Like it is such a wonderful feeling to be able to unlock something in your game that uh, a method that, as you say, if you're a bit dodgy around the uh, you know with, with a wedge in your hand or what have you, it, it's so nice to be able to unlock a a method that you feel more certain and you get better and you can shave shots of your game in one department. The feeling is is wonderful because as you say, golf is a hard game. It's a, fantastic game and I, I love the what, uh, what you pointed to at the start of, about the nature and being out in the, and amongst it and I, that's what I love about golf I love the landscapes of the game like to get yeah, out and play yeah. the different courses and to be out in the world yeah. at different times of day to play an evening game you know on a lovely long summer's evening or a crisp or a crisp morning or something like that like it's so wonderful yeah. um, to you know uh, and It'd I've be been tall. very lucky to be in you know growing up in New Zealand I spent now the last six years in Ireland on playing some Amazing courses in Ireland, uh, and and so you know, it, it, just to be able to just be a bit better, as you say, enjoy the walk, but 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 be better or shave a shot here or there off your game every time. That that makes it feel all the sweeter, doesn't it?
1: Yeah, but ah, oh, there's nothing better than a, a, an evening game of golf in the summer in the UK, or you know, when it's like eleven o'clock at night and you're still playing. So yeah, um, it is it, it really is a beautiful thing and. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's just a great sport in that regard. It's good for the soul no matter what. Um, obviously it's nicer if you, if you play some decent stuff and you hit some good shots. Um, you know, in those, both those countries you alluded to, New Zealand and Ireland, I've lived in both of those places. I used to be based down in Juliet, uh, Mount Juliet in Ireland. Oh, okay. So, you know, I, I love the culture of both those places. Um, uh, I think that the people are, are pretty similar, actually, the Irish and the, the, the Kiwis. They've all got cool
0: actually. Yeah, life, they, they, they are. Pretty pretty neither neither it. of them take life too seriously, which is no, great. No, that's right. Um, yeah, guys. And, and now you've across. been based for a number of years in the states now, haven't you, Johnson? That's right. Yeah, I've been
1: in America twenty-four years now. And
0: um, yeah, and, and you and you're uh, you're actually uh, let's. Listen, uh, I mean, you're actually at Hilton Head this weekend, um, where the RBC Heritage yep. is being played. Isn't that correct?
1: Correct, yep. I'm going and, out there after this,
0: actually. And that's a wonderful, uh, that looks like a, such a beautiful part of the world to go golfing in South Carolina, uh, is it? It looks way but well, wonderful. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. There's lots of great courses around here. I mean, there's lots of great courses in America, obviously, it's some absolute beauties, isn't there? So, yeah, I mean, it's. There's, I think there's more golf courses per populace uh, in this area than anywhere in America, actually. You fly over it, it's basically a big golf course. There's mm. about 50 of them, it's like 40 square miles. It's like, it's like ridiculous. But the, the, obviously the nicest one and the most famous one is the, the one at, at Hilton Head there, Harbour Town, which is a quaint little golf course. You know, it's quite unique. It's quite old schooly. You know, it looks like the players should take it apart, but they don't yeah. because it gets a little bit windy sometimes. But it's a, it's a tricky little course. It's a short little fiddly course. And, you know, it's, it's, it kind of harks back to some of the old courses in New Zealand, Ireland, England. You know, it's it's kind of well designed, I call it, and I I often wonder why architects don't look at little neat little courses like that, or you know, the European club, in you know, in, in Ireland, or you know, some of those great courses, you know, in in different parts of the world, Paraparam in New Zealand, and you know, why don't they look at those places and go, well, well, they're not overly long, but people don't rip them apart. So why is that? Well, it's because of great design. That's why. There's yeah. Bunkers to, to to reduce how far you can hit it. There's, you know, there's rough. There's, you know, there's there's some intelligent design there, so they they're not eight thousand yards long. Yeah, they're just well designed. So I think um, you know architects need to look at little little venues like that, and they're enjoyable to watch as well as a spectator, aren't they?
0: Oh, wonderful to watch. I, I'm really I really enjoyed the first round. I, I loved watching Cameron Smith. Uh, he was I, I, I'm a big um, I'm a big fan of Cameron Smith. So to see him go so well and shoot sixty sixty two yesterday was was wonderful. Um, I, I just wanted to uh, talking about some of the players in the game. Who are kind of some of the players in the game in the modern game right now that uh, that you kind of uh, think, wow, that's that's a real talent? Uh, uh, Is there any young sort of players in the game that really excite you at the moment,
1: Jonathan? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I mean, I've got a new, I've got a new favourite player from last week, uh, Will uh, Zalakaris. Yeah, Uh, I can't pronounce it. Zalatoris. Yeah, Zalatoris. Um, um, I mean, what a breath of fresh air that kid is. You know, he plays golf like he should play golf. No nonsense. Just gets on with it. He's not a technical player. He's a natural player. He, you know, he probably uses track man a little bit here and there, but he's had the same he as a kid, so no one's messed about with him. No one's overcoached him. No one's taken the flow and the flair out of his game. And, um, you know, so you just get a, a real kind of what I call a gunslinger, you know, he just stands up there and he wants to rip his throat <laughs> out and, uh, and and he just plays a natural game and just lets it flow. And I, I'm actually going to go and watch him today because I, I really want to film some of his swings. I want to see how he plays. And it's just very refreshing as a coach to see players like that. I really enjoy it. And He's got no fear either. And he's been the standout. I've done some research with some people I know who know him through the years and He's just been a standout all the way through his whole career, really. And, uh, you know, college, he was like the guy who, you know, just just a stud. Um, and so, you know, that guy there, I think he's really one to watch. And I hope he doesn't get tainted or polluted by it all. And I just love the fact he, if he was playing for no money whatsoever, he'd still want to rip your throat. <laughs> out. And that's what I really love about him. He's <laughs> going to make a lot of money, the kid. He's made three million already, but. Um, you know, it's not about that at all. You take the money away with that kid. You just the joy of golf, the joy of competing, and and how just how craftsmanlike like and artistic he is is so nice. I think. And, yeah. Uh, yeah. So uh, he, he would be, uh, you know, one to watch really, wouldn't he? A, a real standout. And then you know, there's so many great players on the, on all the tours nowadays. Not just that tour. You know, the Corn Ferry Tour. That if you look at the scores, they're doing the LPGA Tour. Yeah. You know the the strength in depth is just incredible, and I've got admiration for every player who steps into the arena. I never ever criticize anyone if they shoot ninety. I wouldn't criticize them because if you've got the courage to be in the arena in the most difficult sport in the world yeah and and under the microscope as well, where every single thing you do is is kind of magnified, you've got my ultimate respect because if you can make any sort of money and living out of the the, the toughest game on what I think is the toughest game on earth. He deserves massive
0: respect, no matter what's going on. Yeah, I think I think as you say, it, 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 and there's to get to that level. Uh, the game is in such rude health at the moment, isn't it? I mean, you have so many great young players. And uh, I had a very good friend of mine who got who was a, an excellent golfer and was you know, as a young guy, he was scratch. And 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 he considered going professional. And he and he was he was good enough. You know, he was excellent. But then he got to the. To that level, and started playing against the guys who were kind of in that um, going into the professional sphere uh, and he realized wow it 's just another step up again. The talent and the and the game required is just another step up and he said, "I just realized there and then it sounds a bit like you you know he was he was very, very good, uh, but he realized wow to be even to be at the professional like weekend week out getting paid for it sort of level, and it was just another step up again in terms of sheer talent, you know.
1: Yeah, it's hard. It's hard, It's hard to put across really until you see it, and and also you know how mentally robust you've got to be, and you've got to have some money behind you as well. You know, you, you know, every, people don't realize. You know, every week on tours, I go on, on a luxury vacation, so you know, yeah, spending right. four, four or five thousand dollars a week every I, week. So, yeah, I, I was um,
0: fascinated about that. That the that,
1: that, like that. Well, I
0: don't. Well, you don't see a lot of which I would be. Which I'm fascinated to know about is that kind of. That life on the road, that grind of hotel rooms and trying to make the cut, if you're a journeyman pro uh you know and you're trying to make that cut every week. Because it's you know dollars and cents because it's costing you money to be out there. You're going to pay your caddy. You're going to pay you, you know your fees, your travel, your hotel. You 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 don't make the cut. You go back to your hotel. You're into the car. You're driving to the next course to try and make the cut for the next week. And and you're in those hotel rooms. You know after your rounds, just by yourself or with your caddy. Like that must that must be a mental grind. You know.
1: Well, that's, that's the side of golf that people don't see, you know, and uh, it, 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 that's the, the the real tough part, you know, it's the, you, all you see on the TV is all the, the star guys who are obviously making millions and millions yeah. flying around in their, in their private jets and all that sort of stuff. And, you know, if you make it the P J Tour, you're living a good life. Don't get me wrong. Yes. Um, you know, you're, all, you're always making some decent coin, but you know as you get further down the ladder there and you go onto the other tours it's not a, not as easy you know the the lpg girls you know they're just as good of players but they don't make anything like the money which oh. i think is wrong yeah. um so life's much more difficult for them especially again as you go down the ladder um but it's the it's the part that you don't see the guys sleeping in the cars to get there and you know that, that, I, I think the people who make it are almost almost um you know psycho to some extent not in a bad way but you know so incredibly driven and single-minded and i'll just put up with anything where yeah. most normal people most normal people wouldn't that's one of the separating factors really you know that uh, they did a, a, a little psychological uh, profile in um, a while ago and the only difference between a um, uh, 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 someone who, a serial a serial killer and a tour player was that uh, the tour player's got empathy. <laughs> <laughs> That's <the only> difference. <laughs> so you know you've got to be so single-minded and you know incredibly tough mentally and robust. But I mean the, the, every tour player will talk about some dark times they've been through. Yeah. Um. Even even you know even if you're in, living a luxury lifestyle of the jets, if you're missing cuts, it's a brutal place to be because. You don't play it for the money. You play it for the well – obviously it helps, but that's yeah. your primary driver. Your primary driver is performing at sport and enjoying playing and shooting low scores. And when that's not happening, it can be a really desolate and lonely place. And then you start missing home more and, and missing routine. And, you know, you imagine moving your office every week. I mean, it, you have to be a certain mentality to do that. And as I alluded to earlier, yeah, you know, it, a, lot of, a lot of the players get guilty from being away from the kids as the kids get older.
0: It must. It must be incredibly lonely at times. Uh, that life on that road, fifty, you know, fifty odd weeks a year. Uh, if you know, trying to, you know, uh, trying to uh, get through and make cuts. And uh, as you say, they're right at the top of the game. And it, it, as you say, even they, uh, uh, the relief that washes over the golfer when he or she wins one of their, one, yeah, wins yeah. one of these tournaments is palpable. Mm-hmm. You can see the relief uh, yeah, on their faces. Yeah. And, um, I, you know, so, and they, they always say on the, on the television, you know, late on the Sunday, it's hard to win on the PGA tour. You know, it's hard to, mm-hmm. to get that win is not easy because, you know, you, you've got, uh, a field of elite golfers uh, and, and, you know, uh, half of that field uh, are in with a shot even come Saturday morning. So, you know, it's, it's a very, very tough um, w- way to kind of, um, you know, to, to get a win. Uh, but as you say, at the top of the, of the field, you've got these elite players who it all seems to come so easy and natural to, and then you've, and you've got the rest of the field who, you know, a guy I, I'm thinking of, for example, um, uh, you know, Uh, Like a guy like Tim Tim Wilkinson, who um, you know is a New Zealander who who's been playing on the PGA Tour for years, he's never had a win. Um, He's probably. Uh, not likely to. He might. He might. But uh, you know, you have to be going some now. Uh, and just that, you know, week upon week upon week, uh, bouncing between the PGA Tour and the Corn ferry, trying to make that 126 mm. top money earners. That is that must be a very very tough existence. And I'm also reminded of Corey Connors. Now, here's because uh, this is the other side of the story. Here's a guy who played in the Valero Texas Open as a Monday qualifier. Like the last spot, so guys, people who don't know, you know, you've got a few spots left to Monday qualifiers, who guys who actually go and play on the Monday to try and make the tournament field on the Thursday. Um, Corey Connors made, made it on the last, basically the last spot through the um, qualifying on Monday to win the Valero Texas Open last year. His career since then, he is... Look at him now. He is—he's won again on tour. He's—he was finished very high up at the leaderboard at the Masters. He's top fifty in the world. He's—he's he, he's been spoken of as you know, in, in, in those elite golfing circles now. And look, even look at him this week at R, yesterday at RBC. He was, you know, what was he four under for the first round or something like that or six yeah, under? I mean, I mean
1: cause the, the pressure's off because he's got a card for three years now, so there's no pressure. So he can freewheel. And yeah. you know what you must understand is there's such a fine line um, between making it and not making it as well because. Some of it is timing. You know, you go to Q school and you have a bad week. You're going to miss the cut, and you're not going to get on the tour. You go to Q school and you're hot that week. You're fine. Yeah. But if you look at how at how players play over a 32 week season, they might play well five six weeks a season in general. Uh. So you know you could you could put any player at Q school, and you could have you know 20 top 10 players there, and some of them wouldn't make it on that particular week because it's not their hot week. So. Uh, it's a it's such a fickle fine line and you know all the players as I say deserve respect because the guy on the corn ferry tour you stick him on the pga tour he's not going to look out of place i can assure you uh, and uh, there's such incredible strength and in depth across the board nowadays as i said earlier on you know we can create performance by design rather than just talent nowadays and you uh, know, the code for a lot of the parts of the game using technology as well as art um and so you, you get this uh, you know this incredible uh, strength in depth, and and also you know within that as well, you must understand there's wheels within the wheel. So you, the, the people you're looking at on TV are the one percent of the one percent in my uh, view. Um, uh, but also within that one percent, there's also variances in ability and talent in within that.
2: Uh, you know,
1: so Tim Wilkins is an incredible player. Watched him play; he's a brilliant player. On his days, as good as anyone. Uh, but the, the, there's also variance between him, let's say, and um, you know Dustin Johnson, let's say. So uh,
2: um,
1: you know, not saying he can't beat him on his day because he can. Uh, um, but you know, there's a there's definitely uh, different ability levels and, and belief levels as well. I think the player look at Will Will, um, he's just incredible uh, self belief. You can see it in him. Oh yeah. He second at the Masters, and was pissed off with it. You know? Yeah, yeah, and, and and yeah, he looked
0: he looked like he'd been there at Augusta for years. He was absolutely brilliant, yeah. as as was um yeah. the young Scotsman Robert McIntyre. He he looked yeah. like he belonged there as well, didn't he?
1: You know. Yeah, the the young young are not tainted. You see, they've got no yeah. scar tissue. Yeah, so they've got no scar tissue. No so, scar tissue. So, yeah, know, with, with no, they can just play, and there's no, there's no reference to to. Choking, there's no reference to anything bad in the past. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well,
0: well, it's interesting you say choking because um, a golfer I really love is Xander Schauffele. Now, he's starting to get that monkey on his back now. And now, I don't think he deserves it because he's absolutely... Xander Schauffele is an elite player in the sport, but he is starting to get that kind of bridesmaid tag in the majors where, uh, you know, like he yanks it in the water on 16 at Augusta and, um, you know, it's starting to become a bit of a monkey on his back. Now... I, I, I don't, as I say, I don't think it's fair, but it's just the case, you yeah. know.
1: Well, I know, but where does that come from? I mean, I don't think it comes from him; it comes from the media. It so does. If, yeah. I was, if I was his, co- if I was his coach, i would just completely ignore it all and just get on with the process and keep saying, "Hey, if you keep knocking on the door, buddy's going to open eventually." So, yeah, it's just if you if you look at it, the media, you know, they just got to make a story out of something or yeah. someone, and you know, what well, it used to be, Sergio. Oh, he's never going to win a major. Now, then it was Lee Westwood, and they've kind of forgotten him for a while, and Montgomery Pryor, and now it's Choate. There's always someone they got to label that load of rubbish with. So yeah. as a coach, you know, that's when the mental coaching comes in, um, you know, and, and perspective comes in, which is one of my i thought my skills in man management of people, is just keeping it all in perspective. I remember when Cambo won the US Open, um, like on a Saturday night. I've still got the notes to it uh, with the, with uh, in in a framed flag actually um we just talked about you know really understanding the process and you know understanding there's 18 flags 18 Ts and if you bring anything else to it you're bringing that and if you bring that you can then diffuse it so get to your process of 18 flags 18 Ts and get on with it you know if you're thinking of other things you're bringing that so you can diffuse it so you know, stuff like that really helps the players to keep perspective of their process, which is what it's all about,
0: really. Uh, and I think that's a great place to end it. Uh, thank you very much, Jonathan. Re, Jonathan Yarwood, um, PGA um, Tour Coach Professional. I think it's such a wonderful um, conversation that we've had. I really appreciate your time, and I hope you go out and enjoy watching Will Zellertouris at uh, Harbour Town today. I
1: uh, will do, buddy. I'll be thinking of you. Thank